We don't know anyone named Tammy. Absolutely no one. And so when I asked you, Matt, who the heck is Tammy? You said. Well, I'm looking at the display and I'm trying to find a Sue. And I'm finding, you know, all the S names and there was no Sue. There was no Suzanne. So the the closest name to Sue would be the first T name. And the next name was Tammy. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're talking about two of our absolute favorite parks, Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks in California. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago, and since then, the wildfires plaguing California have continued to grow. Both Sequoia and Kings Canyon are closed as of September 21st due to two wildfires burning in the surrounding National Forest wilderness areas. That's right. And it's a reminder that it's always a good idea to check the National Park's website for current conditions, alerts, and updates before you go. Due to COVID, most parks currently have changes to their normal operations, whether it be road closures, trail closures, visitor center closures, or lodging closures. Before we dive into talking about Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Park, we discuss why we don't think that most people listen all the way to the end of our episodes. And more importantly, we talk about where to find the photos from our National Park adventures. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. You know, one thing I've learned now that we've done, gosh, what is this, the 17th or 18th full-length podcast episode? People don't listen to the very end of our podcast. At some point, people stop listening to the episode. Oh, you mean when, like, when we do the credits at the end? Yeah, we should just cut those out. <laughs> just end it. All of a sudden, there's silence. <laughs> they, then, you know, the podcast is over because they've, they've stopped talking. <laughs> but, you know, there are those people who you see at the movie theater who, when the credits roll at the end, they're still sitting in their seat. And you know why I think they do that? Because they've fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. The other reason is because once in a while there's a surprise at the end. Oh, there's surprises? And they, yeah, they're like outtakes from the movie or they're funny things. And so those people are rewarded for sticking around. Maybe do we, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what surprise. You're going to have to come up with the surprises. No, it was, uh, it was funny. The other day you got a message from somebody who said, Boy, it'd be nice if you if somewhere you put pictures from your trip that you talk about in the podcast. And, and your response was, I've been doing that every episode. We have a website with hundreds of pictures now that match all of our episodes. And we say this every time at the end of the podcast. I don't think anyone listens to the end. 
No, I don't either. So we'll just go ahead and say it now. If you'd like to see photos from any of our podcast episodes, photos of places we've been and that we talk about, it's on our website, www.dearbobandsue.com. And you can just click on the episode number and you can see photos of things that we are referring to. And once in a while, there is a... A photo of the day award winner. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Do we still choose a photo of the day? I, I, think I choose I, one. I, it used to be that you weren't even part of the contest. I know. Back in the early days when we first went to all the national parks, I was the only person who did the photo of the day. I, I would take all my photos from that day. And I would download them onto my laptop and I would search them out and I would choose a photo of the day. I know. And what was odd about that? (laughs) Well, there were a lot of things odd about that. But you were like the contestant and the judge. Right. So you entered all your photos in this imaginary photo of the day. Oh, no, it was a real contest. (laughs) (laughs) I won every time. Sometimes sometimes I didn't win, which was even odder. <laughs> and I would hear you in our hotel rooms and you'd say, "Well, we have a we have a winner." And first of all, okay, who's we? Cuz I had nothing to do with it. I didn't take photos back then. Uh 10 years ago, we only had one camera and we weren't using the cameras on our cell phones if we even had them back then. And so you were the only one who took photos. You created a photo of the day contest where you submitted your best photos. Well, I didn't that- I didn't submit them. <laughs> Actually, I just I organized them into the finalist, and then I chose. And then you wanted to be part of it. I did. I, I actually wanted to be one of the judges, but you wouldn't let me. You wanted to be one of the contestants, and <laughs> after a couple of years, I let you in. And then you started. You then you thought you were one of the judges, which you never were. So just because you're a contestant doesn't mean you you get to judge also. And then you took the whole thing over. Now you do the thing that you made fun of me about. Well, yes, but it's actually a real contest because I look through all of your photos and I look through all of my photos and then I very objectively decide who has the best photo of that particular place we went to and that's the one i post on instagram and facebook you are one of the contestants and you are the only judge (laughs) the thing that (laughs) one minute ago you were making fun of me about well okay everyone listening this is my life (laughs) this is why i'm always confused but you have an equal chance of winning because i always like to post the best photo and i don't really care if it's your photo or my photo you never give me photo credit on Instagram. Well, that's because both our names are on Instagram. It says Matt and Karen Smith. So I'd like photo credit. You don't get photo credit. Well, I know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to get photo credit. And by the way, you're like on my phone all the time. I might have secret stuff on my phone. Oh, well, you better not, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. Anyway, if you would like to see our photos, some award-winning photo of the day photos from our journeys and from these podcast episodes, check out our DearBobAndSue.com website. Today we're going to talk about two of our favorite parks. We don't 
go there that often. We should put them on the rotation list. I more know. Often. I want to go this winter and see it in the snow. Right. Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. Mm-hmm. And they are two different national parks. They are, but they're side by side. And these two parks are managed together, although we didn't know that when we first went there. <laughs> and we were all excited on our trip to all the national parks, and it was the day to go to Sequoia National Park, and we get there. And as we always did, we would say this in the book, taking care of business. Mm-hmm. We just taking care of business was get our picture by the park sign and get a map and do a hike in the area or some significant thing in the park. So we get to the visitor center there in Sequoia and I get the map. And I was shocked when I learned that there was only one park map for both parks. Because what I would do back then is I would create a file folder for all the information about each park. So we'd go to a park, we'd get all this information, the map, the newsletter, all those other brochures, and I would put them in my folder. And what was I going to do? I had 58 folders set up. <laughs> I know you did, had, all with the little names I, typed I know, up in your label the, machine. Yeah, it's a label maker. <laughs> A lot of people use label makers. That's that's not an unusual thing. Not certainly not something that you should laugh at somebody or ridicule them. I'm sorry, in a public format. But yeah, yeah, how else would you know what the folder's for with it if it doesn't have a name on it? So mm-hmm. I had 58 folders, and so how was what was I going to do? Like put all the stuff in one folder, and then then yes, what? Put and- a note in the others that says see the other like if you start going yes. down that road and <laughs> no, Matt, it is chaos you get out your little label maker and you Wait, type a new label it's not a little label maker it's a, it's, a, it's a normal size <laughs> label maker why <laughs> you are never going to use that label maker ever again oh, the day's please. coming when you're going to want a label and you're not going to get to use it. Uh, I used to use them when I was in the fourth grade, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> the parks of systems have always been under tough budgets. But back then, this was not too long after the financial crisis. And so the, the budgets were pretty stretched. And those maps must cost a lot to print mm-hmm. because they They're would beautiful. – you would ask for a map and they would say, well, do you not have one yet or do you really need it? I mean, you had to like submit your request in writing to get a map. <laughs> and we needed two, which I thought was fine because we were two visitors. We each get one. When we started out going to the parks, I would get the map and think, OK, this is great. We'll use the map. Then I'll go in the folder and then I would hand the map to you. And within seconds – Sometimes within less than a minute, the map would be ripped and have peanut butter on it, and it looked like we'd had the map for 12 years. I think that's a slight exaggeration. I think it took at least a day to get to that state. No. No. There was one time – we, by the time I drove 100 yards to pull over to a parking lot to look at the map, it already had peanut butter on it. So so that's not – the peanut butter is not going into the file folder. So I would always get two maps. One for you to do whatever you do with with it. And then another one would always – I would put it right in a special place in my backpack so it would stay nice and fresh. Mm -hmm. And I still have all those maps. Oh, I know you do. Ten years later. I know you do. But the problem was in Sequoia – we had to get three maps, one right. for me, one for the Sequoia file, and one for the King's file. So I remember I know, we walked was... away with like two and you whispered, 
go back, go back and ask for another one. <laughs> yeah. And we did. We did. We did. We got three. If they could get away with giving us three maps and never see us again, that, that would be a good deal for them. Mm-hmm. And then we were ready to start our trip. So Kings Canyon and Sequoia are located in California, if we didn't say that before, in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, which runs about 400 miles north to south and 70 miles east to west. Now, the Sierra Nevadas are home to three national parks. In addition to Sequoia and Kings, there is Yosemite, which is to the north. It also has 20 wilderness areas and two national monuments, Devil's Post Pile and the giant Sequoia National Monument, which is under the jurisdiction of the Forest Service. It also has, as you often call it, Mount Whitey. But it's not Mount Whitey. It's my, <laughs> Mount Whitney. <laughs> I have Whitey on the brain. I think you're thinking of the, the white I know. bison. But no, it's one of the tallest mountains in the lower 48. It maybe is the tallest mountain. It is the and, tallest mountain. Right. It sits right on the boundary of Sequoia and the Inyo National Forest. Another fun fact about these parks, Sequoia National Park was our country's second national park. I know, I re- next to Yellowstone. <laughs> I remember when we started writing the first version of Dear Bob and Sue, and I was writing up the Sequoia section. And I made, I did this whole write-up about how Sequoia was our second national park and when it was made a national park and why and all of this. And I had Sue actually read that email mm-hmm. in one of its early stages, and her response was, no, take all that boring history stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> So no one, no one cares when it was made a national park. But Sue, if you're listening, uh-huh. it's our podcast, and I'll, I'll say whatever I want. So Kings Canyon was actually made a national park six days later, and this is in 1890. But at the time, it wasn't named Kings Canyon. It was actually called General Grant National Park. And then they changed the name in, what, 1940, I think? Are you asking me? <laughs> You're the one with all the facts. I don't know. I, after that. <laughs> after Sue reprimanded yeah, you. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot everything I knew about the history of the national parks because yeah. I had a bad experience one time. Right. Sue. Uh, yes, it was renamed Kings Canyon in 1940, and it was also uh, greatly enlarged. So these parks are at elevation. Mm-hmm. I know that, that lodge we stay at in, in Sequoia that's that's right there by the visitor center. It's it's at over seven thousand feet. Mm-hmm. But being at elevation, you would think that they're not open all year round, but they are. Yes. So the parks are open all year round. Now some of the roads are closed and I'm not sure about all the lodging, but well we're gonna talk about Wuxachi in a few minutes, but that one is open all year, which is pretty amazing. So the park was created, both parks were created to protect the giant sequoia trees. So here's a little quiz, Matt. What is the difference between the giant sequoias of California and the coastal redwoods in California? It's a quiz. Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't know there was going to be a quiz. There there may be a prize if you get the answer correct. There are different species of tree. I know, but how do they look different? Well... The sequoias are really, really big at the base, and they almost go straight up. Mm -hmm. I mean, they almost, when you look at them from the bottom, they look like that diameter, that wide diameter kind of stays consistent, but it doesn't. It tapers. So they're they're bigger in volume. Mm -hmm. Uh, The coastal redwoods are tall. They just, they're also big at the bottom, not as big as the sequoia, but they are much, much taller than the sequoias. But both are very, very large. Ding, ding. You got the answer correct. (laughs) Again, you're the judge. (laughs) 
You don't get to be the judge. <laughs> no, but you know what the sequoias remind me of every time I see them? So as you said, they have these giant trunks, huge trunks, but then they have these little itty-bitty branches that come out. And to me, it looks like a T-Rex dinosaur yeah. where you have this massive dinosaur and these little tiny arms. Well, they, that's what okay. it looks like. They, yeah, that's, that is true because those teeny tiny branches are way, way up in the sky because the mm-hmm. tree's tall. Some of those branches would be huge trees all by themselves. So because sometimes when those things break off and they're on the ground, they're they're huge, but they look small because they're they're way up. They, they don't have that many branches, mm-hmm. just a few of them. And they, you're right, they look like T Rex arms. I'll think of that every time I see them. But they they are pretty, pretty big. <laughs> Now, we looked up visitation for a lot of the parks when we did our podcast episode about hidden gems because we were talking about parks that specifically had 500,000 visitors a year or less. And it was interesting because when I looked up Kings Canyon, it was close. They uh, Last year in 2019, they had 632,000 visitors. But what was shocking to me is that Sequoia has Double the amount of visitors. They had last year 1,246,000. So my question is this. They're right next to each other. Why wouldn't people visit both parks when they go? Are you asking me again? Is this this how this podcast is going to go? You're going to ask me questions the whole time? I'm going to interview you. I'm going to start asking you questions. Why are you wearing that shirt? What kind of idea? Like, <laughs> I need to. I need these okay. questions in writing ahead of time. Like, it why was, uh, is this a rhetorical it, question? It was. Thank okay, you. Retor- I'm just I'll like, have to go to the internet and do some research. I mean, let's discuss. I think I, it's okay, odd. Let's discuss. Let's discuss it here. <laughs> Everyone else can listen while while we discuss this. I think part of the reason is that. The canyon of Kings Canyon is – it's a dead-end road. It goes way back. It's a beautiful canyon. We'll talk about that. So it's a little bit off to the side. I think the main road kind of takes you through Sequoia, but – that's odd. I would think that it would almost be the same. It, it could it could be the way they're they're counting. Because you're going all the way there, and I just don't understand why you wouldn't see both parks. Anyway, Sequoia and Kings, there are a lot of winding roads. And so as you're planning your visit, it would be a really great idea to pull up the map that's on the Sequoia National Park website. In fact, all of the National Park websites have great maps. It's the same map that they give out in the visitor center. And you can take a look at the entrances and see those roads and figure out exactly where you want to come in. Right. Typically, when we go, we would stay in Fresno or Clovis, like the Hampton Inn at Clovis Mm. or wherever the closest town. And then we would drive from there. And that takes you to the... Big stump. And that takes you to the big stump entrance. <laughs> okay, th- th- that's got to be the best name for an I entrance know. of anything. Not not just national parks, but anything. The big, the big stump, stump en- entrance. entrance. Now, the big stump entrance, that's a fairly normal road. It does go, uh, as we've said before, it goes up in elevation. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a an uphill drive and it's kind of windy. But then going through Sequoia and then out to the south, you'll end up at the Ash Mountain entrance. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I remember driving that. We drove that once because we drove from Sequoia to Death Valley, which took 
seemed like a day and a half yeah. to do that drive. And that is a very, very windy road. It is. And it takes a long, long time. Oh, and also we had somebody who wrote to us and they were just there recently and they have a pretty big RV. They didn't realize. So they went into Sequoia through the Ash Mountain entrance at the south and they got halfway there. And then they there's a point where they turn back all the RVs because of this winding road. So they had to literally turn around, go all the way back, then drive all the way up to the big stump entrance. So oh, for all you RV folks. And that's literally a day of oh driving. Oh, my gosh. That right is there. so much driving. Yeah. If you have have a big RV, do not go in the Ash Mountain entrance to get to Sequoia. However, <laughs> you might want to stop at the Ash Mountain entrance on the outside of the park boundary because there's something really cool there. And that is our absolute favorite national park entrance sign out of all the park entrance signs. It's a very cool sign. Mm-hmm. It's a huge mammoth piece of wood that's four feet by 10 feet. And they carved a sign from this piece of wood and it has an Indian on it. It's so, a beautiful sign. And they they redid it. And I think when we visited Sequoia the first time when we were going to all the national park, we got our picture taken in front of it. And I think it had just been restored. We haven't seen it since then. I wonder wonder how it's doing. Well, they restored it again in 2018. The pictures I've seen look beautiful. I don't know if I mentioned this, but it was carved in the 1930s, so it's pretty old. Oh, okay. And it was intended to honor Sequoia, the Cherokee scholar whose invention of an alphabet for his language brought advances uh, in literacy. They also think that the Sequoia trees were named after Chief Sequoia. Now, both Kings and Sequoia have huge wilderness areas, and the actual footprint of the roads and the places to go and see is pretty small. In Sequoia, the the main area, there's the Lodgepole Visitor Center, and the main area that you would want to go to, that most people want to go to, is the Giant Forest. And there's some really cool things in the Giant Forest. One of the things I like about that area is they have paved trails, so people of All physical capability can go, but then – and those paved trails go by some very impressive sequoia trees. But then there's also some trails off of that that aren't paved. So within this pretty small area, you can have people of all different levels of physical capability. Yes. Now, most people go to see the General Sherman tree, which is the largest tree in the world and definitely the most popular thing to see in the park. Yeah, the the largest tree in the world. Now, that's by volume. Mm-hmm. So it's not by height. So if you take the total volume of the tree, it's, it's 275 feet tall. It's also 36 feet in diameter. There are a lot of people a lot of people that go to see the General Sherman tree. So you're likely to be hiking down to it. It's it's about 0.8 of a mile from the parking lot down to the General Sherman tree. And you're likely to be there in a huge crowd because that's what everyone wants to see. But if you continue on the Congress Trail for another mile on a paved path, you'll see more huge trees, very cool trees. And if you continue further still on the Giant Forest Loop Trail, and you can go over seven miles total in a big loop, you'll find not only incredibly beautiful trees, but a lot of solitude. I think when we did it, we saw what, maybe two people out there on that forest loop? Not many. And that's uh, that was an interesting trail. And not only because you're by yourself with these very large trees, there was at least one tree that was down 
you know, when a tree goes gets blown over in the forest, oftentimes the whole root system is intact and the whole thing just comes over and the roots are now at a 90-degree angle. That one that we saw, that, that root system, it had to be, oh, without exaggeration, it had to be 50 feet tall. I know. I have a picture of you standing next to it, and you, you look like a, like a tiny little ant. <laughs> <laughs> I look like an ant. In fact, that tree you're talking about, they had to cut a way through because it fell on the trail, right? Remember, you cut, we, then we walked through the trunk of the tree. We'll have to put that in the pictures mm-hmm. on the website. So that's a beautiful place to spend, you know, a half a day exploring the, the giant forest. A couple other cool things to do. I know you loved Matt Morrow Rock. I actually did like Morrow Rock. We went to Morrow Rock. It's a hike. It's a steep hike that's close to the giant forest. Unfortunately, when we were there, there was a lot of forest fires, and so it was very foggy, and there was smoke in the air. But it's a granite dome that's close by, and basically it's like stairs that take you almost all the way up. There's 350 stairs, I think, and at parts kind of towards the top, it's it's kind of narrow. Mm-hmm. and uh, It's, it's yeah. usually a pretty popular hike. Yeah, I would suggest going early. We actually went very early as soon as we got up, and there were only a few other people there. Of course, as Matt said, there were also some forest fires in the area, so that could have kept some of the people away. But it's a great hike. And again, there's it's a staircase and, and some rocks steps also so you're not scrambling up the side of this rock so that's a really it's fun very thing safe to do. it's not treacherous it it's, but it is hard yeah i mean you'll, you'll be breathing you'll be breathing heavily for sure when you get to the top and not far from there just up the road is the drive-through tunnel log which is i, I don't know if any of you have seen photos of the cars actually driving through this log and it went down a long time ago like like in the 30s yeah, in the 30s, and a giant sequoia fell across the Crescent Meadow Road. I guess they said it was natural causes. N- no one cut it down. So they had to cut a tunnel through it, and it's sort of a visitor attraction back then, and it still is today. It was over 2,000 years old when it, when it went down. And so the tunnel, you can't get an RV through it. It's 17 feet wide and 8 feet high, but it certainly is fun to go up and take some photos of your car driving through it. <laughs> So one thing we haven't done, and we will probably never do, but I heard it's a fun thing to do, is there is a cave in Sequoia National Park called the Crystal Cave. (laughs) I think we should put it on our list. Yeah, we can put it on the list. (laughs) It sounds really pretty, Crystal Cave. Yeah. I I like the stuff above ground. (laughs) So they say if you plan to go see the cave, it's only by ranger-led cave tour. And you need to plan on about a half day because it takes a little while to drive out there. And then it's a half of a mile hike to the cave. And it's a half of a mile hike through the cave. And if it sounds interesting to you, you need to buy your tickets online in advance. You cannot buy tickets at the cave. Another thing we haven't done is camp in Sequoia. We've, we've camped in Kings. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in, in a little bit. But there are seven campgrounds scattered throughout Sequoia National Park. Mm-hmm. And that would be fun. That would be very fun. Now, now that we're campers. <laughs> we're campers. We're more campers than we were back then. So we've stayed uh, a couple of times in the one lodge that's in Sequoia. It's called – I always feel like I'm saying this wrong. It's called Wuxachi. I, I call it Wuxachi. 
something close to Gotta that. Be close. Uh, yeah. Now, this isn't a historic lodge. It was actually built in 1999, but they did a beautiful job. It's it's built of stone and cedar and and it seems to fit right into the the backdrop of Sequoia National Park beautifully. So we like the lodge. The yeah, it's a, it's a nice little lodge. Mm-hmm. And, and again though, one of the experiences we we had when we visited there is I actually got some altitude sickness oh, uh, that's staying right. there because it's like I said, it's 7,000 plus feet of elevation. But uh, uh-huh. we had a nice dinner at the lodge that night. And so you don't think that elevation sickness had to do with the bottle of wine that we drank at dinner? I think I think <laughs> you drank the bottle of wine. Because I, there were some strange things happening that <laughs> night, as I recall. We had a nice leisurely dinner. And they have a nice restaurant. And, and for us, that's a rarity. To That's have right. a nice leisurely dinner. Right. No, we usually eat in seven minutes. Uh-huh. At, at a bar somewhere. Yeah, or in the car or yeah. a tailgate or something. I mean, this but was a sit-down dinner. It was a sit-down ne- dinner, and you ordered a bottle of red wine. And uh-huh. I think I had maybe a half a glass of wine, and you drank the rest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think we shared the bottle of wine. And the reason we bring this up is, again, at Elevation, I think that – the wine hit hit us. Oh, it hard. hit you. It hit, it hit me <laughs> because we were finished with dinner. It was maybe what, like seven fifteen at night when we were finished mm-hmm. with dinner. It's like what are, we're we cannot go to bed at seven fifteen. Although we've done that before, <laughs> so we kind of wandered around the lodge and we went into the gift shop mm-hmm. at a lovely gift store. At a lovely gift store, and I found several things. That I wanted to buy. I've always been interested since I was a little kid. They make these little pocket knives Mm -hmm. and they will engrave people's names on them. And sometimes they're red plastic with gold letters and sometimes they're wood. You know, now they're laser engraved names. And so I, I was mesmerized by the display of knives. And so I decided I would get, we were thinking about Bob and Sue. But I decided to get a one for Bob and one for Sue. And then mm-hmm. I had that and I had uh, other things. I do think the wine influenced it a little bit because <laughs> I had I had maybe five finger puppets. <laughs> <laughs> and you had that book, Who Pooped in the Park? I, I had a few other I'm things. I'm not even – yeah. Yeah, so. and I think some mm-hmm. maple fudge. Mm-hmm. I had all those things mm-hmm. and I was at the checkout counter. Right. And I remember I saw you up there. And fortunately, I wandered over before she had actually rung up all the purchases because laying on the counter along with the finger puppets and the fudge and everything were actually you had more than two knives because you had one for our son. There was one that said Matthew and our son-in-law. There was a Justin and then and there was and a Bob. And then the fourth one said Tammy. (laughs) <laughs> now, did, let me just say, it, first it of all, say Tammy. <laughs> we don't know anyone named Tammy. No. Absolutely no one. No. And so when I asked you, Matt, who the heck is Tammy? You well, said, I'm looking at the display. and I'm trying to find a Sue and I'm finding, you know, all the S names and there was no Sue. There was no Suzanne. So the <laughs> the closest name to Sue would be the first T name. So where the S-U would be, that would be the last name in alphabetical order in the S section. The next name was Tammy. (laughs) And I figured that Sue would understand. Yeah. See, this is where I think the bottle of red wine comes in because – Well, I I can't send Bob a knife and not send one to Sue. (laughs) I don't think Sue was actually – 
anxious to get a knife from you, a little pocket knife. But you, anyway, that's beside the point. You didn't let me buy it. I didn't. I put it back on the peg, and you you had to just be satisfied with the three other knives and the and the fudge and the finger puppets. And I think that I sent the knife and maybe some other stuff to Bob and Sue, and then I had to say I I had a knife for you, and Karen took it. Mm-hmm. Years later, I did buy Sue a knife. I I bought her a Tammy. I know you did. I know. And I think she probably treasures it now because yeah, yeah because of the story behind it. So that was our stay at the Wuxachi. And one note, it's a little odd when you check into the main lodge building, the rooms are actually in different buildings kind of up a hill. So you have to then move your car and sort of relocate yourself to these other buildings. They're not in. So you're telling people that so that if they want to get drunk at dinner, like move your car first and then, then walk. <laughs> exactly. The, walk Be the prepared to walk up a hill. hundred yards to, back to the logs. And... <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it was a great place to stay. Next time, though, we'll camp for sure. So should we move on to Kings Canyon? No, let's talk more about Sequoia National <laughs> Park. Do you have any other stories about when you got drunk and tried to buy weird stuff? No. I... <laughs> yeah, well, sure. yeah, yeah, I do. Not... <laughs> that would be a whole nother podcast. All right. We have unlimited episodes in that one. <laughs> I'm <afraid> so. <laughs> no, I think it is time to move on to Kings mm-hmm. Canyon National Park. Kings Canyon National Park has a couple of different main sections. Mm. There's this part that you drive into that's closest to the entrance station, the Grant Grove Village area, and that has visitor center and a lodge. And we've never stayed at the lodge. We've always stopped at the visitor center and a little uh, convenience store to, to mm-hmm. get supplies. There's a whole nother area that we'll talk about that's that's back, the Cedar Grove area that that's back in the canyon. And then there's this other piece of real estate that's kind of off to the side that's also what is that the redwood redwood canyon area yeah Yeah. so Mm -hmm. there's a few different areas that you can explore yeah and just since we mentioned the redwood canyon area it has the largest of all the sequoia groves and it has 16 miles of trails and we spent them at least a half a day hiking back there and it was beautiful it was and hardly any people were back there. not many people so you know we'd recommend that if you've got the time to do that but the main thing that people go see in grant grove village is the general grant tree Again, it's not the largest of the world's living trees, but it's, gosh, I don't know. Is it the, I think it's actually the second largest sequoia. Yeah, it's the second largest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's cool about this tree or what what it's famous for is that back in 1926, President Coolidge proclaimed it the nation's Christmas tree. Which is great, (laughs) but that's an odd... That's an odd tree to declare a Christmas tree. How are you going to decorate that thing? Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, yeah, it yeah. doesn't look very Christmas tree-ish. No, it's 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 they're beautiful trees. Yeah, but I don't know how you hang lights on. Uh, well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't hang anything on that because it's so dang big, and it's also around three thousand years old. So in that little area where the General Grant tree is, um, there's a paved trail that will take you sort of around it. And it's about, gosh, a third to a half of a yeah, mile. It's not, it's not very long. And there's mm-hmm. there's other trees that are. One time we visited the park, we noticed all this smoke. And then we started seeing fires. And Thanks. I always have feared that what if a forest fire sweeps through these groves of sequoias? And that would just be a horrific thing. And now we're seeing 
these fires and then we're seeing fire trucks and we're thinking, oh, we're here while the, there's a forest fire and, and what was going on, thankfully, was the firefighters were starting fires on purpose. They were doing prescribed fires where they were burning piles of debris just to remove the fuel from the forest floor so that that doesn't happen. So if a forest fire comes through, there's there's nothing to burn. But they were setting these fires like close to the base of these I big know. trees. That, mm-hmm. I'm sure they knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah. I, and I was reading about it. And they have, of course, they take every precaution. They have fire hoses on the ready and they dig trenches. And I mean, they, yeah, they know what they're doing. But it is to protect the trees. And they do have these prescribed burns fairly often. And we have noticed many, many times as we're hiking through Sequoia Groves that you'll see a lot of burn marks. Mm -hmm. So these trees are thousands of years old. I mean, long before man was able to control forest fires of any kind, fires must have come through there. And they must be able to survive pretty well because, you know, over the course of a few thousand years, you know that there's going to be some fires that that come mm-hmm. through. Yeah, I read that the trunks of the trees are able to survive the fires actually very well. It's the it's the crowns. If the crowns burn, then then the trees yeah. die. Unfortunately, they, those are very very far off the ground. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful area of the park, and definitely people should go and see it. But our favorite section of Kings Canyon, what uh, what we think the real treasure of Kings Canyon is. King's Canyon. And when John Muir first saw it, he wrote, and I'm going to quote this because I love this quote, in the vast Sierra wilderness far to the south of the famous Yosemite Valley, there is a yet grander valley of the same kind. It is situated on the south fork of the King's River above the most extensive groves and forests of the giant Sequoia and beneath the shadows of the highest mountains in the range. And I think that's right. It does look a lot like Yosemite Valley. Yes. Just missing a half dome. Right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have El Capitan. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's some spectacular granite cliffs in Yosemite, but it, it is a similar valley with almost no people. Exactly. And much, much less development than Yosemite has. It has a little bit back there, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, what's back there, but it is nothing compared to Yosemite Valley. And because the road's a little windy to get to, it sees far fewer visitors. So it's it's one of our absolute favorite places. But to get there now, it's odd because you head out of the Grant Grove Village area on Highway 180, and you actually leave the park and you enter Sequoia National Forest. Now, let's talk about a stop that you can make before you head back into the Kings Canyon area. Just a few miles down 180 to the north, there's a turnoff for a dirt road that will take you to the Chicago Stump. When we were writing Dear Bob and Sue, the first book, we wanted to talk a little bit about the history, even though Sue doesn't like the history. <laughs> but I, it was interesting to me how many stories there were about how close the sequoias were to being cut down. And it was a very close call. Had the government not stepped in and protected that land, people would have come and and cut down those sequoias. They would have been lost forever. And so one of the things they did back at the end of the kind of towards the end of the 19th century is they wanted to bring, raise the awareness of the rest of the country 
to these incredible resources and these incredible trees. And so in 1897, there was a World's Fair in Chicago. And so the government thought, well, this is going to be a good opportunity to draw attention to these incredible resources in the West and and how we should protect them. So they decided that the U.S. government's booth, for lack of a better word, at the exhibition would be made from a giant sequoia. So in order to, to show people how important it was to protect these sequoias, they cut one down. One of the biggest ones. One of the biggest ones down. They cut a 30-foot section and then they took that to Chicago. They partially hollowed it out. They made a spiral staircase in the middle of the tree so people could walk up inside it. And when people asked, why the heck did you cut one of these trees down? The answer was that they're so magnific- magnificent that we didn't think people would actually believe the descriptions without seeing them. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they, they cut down the General Noble, which also is ironic because General Noble, John Noble, was the Secretary of the Interior at the time. Whose job it was so, to protect. So now the guy <laughs> whose job it is to protect these resources, who the tree was named after, thought it was a good idea. Yeah, let's just cut it down. And so that just – I can't believe that they did that. What made it even worse is then – so they make this exhibition out of it after the World's Fair was over. They take it to Washington, D.C. and put it on display for a while. And at some point in time, in the mid-20th century, in the 1940s, like somebody inquired, where is it now? And the government's response was that they misplaced it. That is so crazy. So the, they you didn't, just even, wonder they if didn't even preserve the, the part that they cut mm-hmm. down. So anyway, if it did the job of of raising the awareness to these areas, maybe, maybe some good came of it. But I, I thought it was odd that they did it in that fashion. Mm-hmm. And so what is left of the stump, you can go and look at. It's called the Chicago Stump, and it's in an area where heavy logging took place. So there are a lot of stumps in that little area. But, yeah, it's worth going to see if you're going by there. So the drive along 180 that takes you back into Kings Canyon is beautiful. It's about 35 miles long, and it's full of twists and turns and and actually some sheer drop-offs down into the Kings River below. We wrote about this in Season 2 of Dear Bob and Sue, our camping back in the valley area by Cedar Grove. And at the time, we were there very soon after a couple of car accidents happened mm-hmm. on that road. And when we say that there's steep and windy roads, like you do have to pay attention. I mean, there are guardrails, but if you're going, you know, any speed at all, you'll go right through those guardrails. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. A couple, I don't know if they were driving down or driving up out of the valley, They came to a turn in the road and they just kept going straight and they just went right off the cliff down into the river below and they they died. Yeah, tragically. So these were two 
exchange students from Thailand. And it happened in late July. And unfortunately, the spot where the car landed in the middle of the Kings River was a place with very fast moving rapids. And it wasn't safe to have rescuers come in and try to to retrieve the car. First of all, it was a 500 foot plunge from the highway down there. And second of all, again, in July, the river was running high. So it took them until September to figure out how to airlift by helicopter that car out. And an interesting and bizarre twist happened as as this whole story was unfolding. They're recovering this car, and there's news footage of them doing this, trying to pull this car out. I think they had helicopters and it was – it was treacherous. Maybe the water levels had come down to a point where it was maybe a little bit safer. So another ranger is watching the news report on TV and notices that there is a license plate in the bushes. <laughs> so random. And he – I don't know if he like looked up the plate or whatever and, and, and came to realize like this is not the license plate for that car. It is the license plate of another car that had been missing. Yes. So in August, a week or so after the first car plunged off, another couple from San Diego went missing, and they had no idea what happened to this couple. They didn't know where they were. They they didn't have a clue. But after this ranger ran the plates, they realized it was to this missing car. It was a white Ford Focus. And when they searched more of the river, they found the car submerged in the river. So the it's so bizarre because within 10 days of each other, two cars plunged off almost the exact same area of that highway into the river below, and they still don't know what happened. And that that's a treacherous area of the highway, but it's not the most treacherous or, or unusually treacherous, the, the whole highway has, there's there's many, many spots where this could happen. So it's unusual that they both went off the cliff almost at the very same spot. The point of all of this is you do have to pay attention. Yes. Like this, we this drove is, it. This So this had all happened literally, a, I think they pulled the car out three days before we were there. And so we were following it all on the news. And we drove that so – you drove it so sure, carefully because right. I was I was scared. And just so everyone listening knows, you can do it safely. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a safe road. Mm-hmm. If you're paying attention, you're driving the speed limit, you'll be fine. It's just uh-huh. that you can't be looking at your phone. You can't, you can't be texting. You can't be <laughs> – you can't be lost in conversation. You can't be looking over the side of the road. Like you have to right. pay attention to what you're doing when you're driving that road. Absolutely. Now, and I certainly wouldn't want to drive it if there were any snow and ice on the road. And that's part of the reason they do close. They close this section of, of 180 into Cedar Grove. They close it from November through April. So that whole part of the park is closed. And one of the reasons is because once the temperature drops below freezing at night, I guess rocks start falling from the cliffs above onto the road. And, and that, so you've got that also. Yeah, so you've got that <laughs> so you got also. rocks coming at you right. from above. So if you want to head back and, and see this beautiful part, uh, this Kings Canyon area in Cedar Grove, you need to do it May through October. When, when the weather's nice. So, so once you've driven this 35 miles and all of a sudden you're coming back into – so again, you're out of the park. You're in uh, Sequoia National Forest 
and part of the giant Sequoia Forest National Monument. So then you drive back into Kings Canyon National Park, into Kings Canyon. And I got to say, when you hit it, it took my breath away. It is so beautiful. It is a little odd that more people don't go back there. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. it is so beautiful. Yeah, there's towering cliffs and massive trees and you've got the beautiful Kings River and it is absolutely stunning. Yeah, in that area there're four different campgrounds. Mm-hmm. And those campgrounds are beautiful. Oh, they are absolutely gorgeous. We camped at the Sentinel mm-hmm. campground. We we got a reservation. Yeah, at Sentinel, the, the other three are uh, first come, first serve. Right, right. If you want to make a reservation, which we did, you need to stay in Sentinel, and it was beautiful. There's also the Cedar Grove Lodge mm-hmm. that has 21 rooms. Mm-hmm. It, it has a little market and a snack bar. We've never stayed there, and that closes fairly early in the year. Yeah, it seems like, like uh, mid-September. mid-September, all the services back there kind of shut down. Right. The market, everything kind of closes. So if you do go back there at some point before the road closes in the fall, you're kind of on your own. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a gap between mm-hmm. when the services close and the road closes. But that's also kind of a nice time to be there because then there's even fewer people. Oh, yeah. In fact, we were there, I want to say September 10th. We had reservations for two nights at Sentinel, and it was somewhat full, uh, the campground. We had we had people on both sides of us, but uh, we had a really pretty site that backed up to the river. I do remember that we set up camp. It kept raining on us. Remember, it rained. We'd go sit in the truck. We'd get out when it stopped raining, and then it would start raining again. And Well, that was back when we were becoming campers. We first start started uh, uh, camping, and I know we checked the forecast, and the forecast had, I think for those days, said 0% chance of rain. Of course, we get our tent set up, and a thunderstorm comes through. <laughs> so we were the, the gods were trying to test us to see if we were really ready to be campers. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we, I, there was, there I was think that, I failed. There was literally not a cloud <laughs> in the sky as we're setting up the tent, and I think we took all of our food out, put the tablecloth on the, the picnic table, uh-huh. had everything out, and we hear this loud sound. And I thought, was that a car crash or something? And no, that was thunder. (laughs) (laughs) And we thought, nah, it couldn't be thunder. And and then like 30 minutes later, we're sitting in the truck Uh watching all of our stuff get wet. That's right. But when the rain let up, we walked over to – there's a small ranger station that's right next to the campground. So we went over there to ask the ranger about some hikes for the next day. And it's funny because we found lately that if we just go into a visitor center and ask the ranger about a hike – that ranger might recommend to us something along the lines of a nature walk. I know. We must look soft. <laughs> we think we, we look are we really so, soft. Are we soft? <laughs> Maybe it's because you have your purse with you and <laughs> I'm looking at my phone. And like, the first okay, thing these- out of their mouth is, oh, there's a really nice nature walk. So usually then we have to spell it out and say, hey, we'd like to hike whatever, seven miles, 10 miles with some elevation. What do you suggest? So after we chat with the ranger about that, he recommended a hike called Mist Falls. And that was a great hike. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. On our first visit, we did a hike that was started out on the Hotel Creek Trail, and it went up to Cedar Grove Overlook. It was about five miles round trip, and 
I just remember once we got to the top, there were some incredible views of the entire valley right there. Right. That was back in the day when we were going pretty quick through the parks. And that day, the thing we were going to do in Kings Canyon was drive into the valley and do that hike. And we weren't staying. We were then then leaving. So it was a pretty quick hit that first time. Mm-hmm. We also asked while we were at the ranger station, we asked if there are bears. <laughs> yeah, because I was afraid to I was afraid to sleep in the tent if bears would come around. Like I was worried about that. Yeah, and where where to put our food. Now the campsites, I don't know if all of them had them, but our campsite had a bear box, that was a, nice. like a metal bear box. So you put all your food in there so you don't have to worry about bears getting it at night. He gave us a pamphlet. It's like, here's a pamphlet mm-hmm. you should read about what what to do <laughs> when you see a bear. We laughed so hard because what, what did it say? It, it said you have to keep your food in the bear box. If if a bear comes by, never run from the bear. And never run from a bear, right, ne- which, yeah. of course, we've like, already uh, failed yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, we're really good at running from bears. <laughs> That's right. And then it said, here's another piece of advice. If a bear takes your food – don't try to get it back from the bear. <laughs> I know. Do they really have to say that? Who in the world would try to get their food back from a bear? Well, I no, I you shouldn't try to get but you know lately I found that baking jerky. <laughs> and I got to say, you would fight a bear if for a the <laughs> bear is sniffing my baking jerky. I'm tugging at it. I'm like going in a Couple times. Are you? T- Are you t- mad? Testing it. Okay. See if I can. Yeah. Have uh-huh. you had the bacon jerky? <laughs> it is pretty good. I don't think I would fight a bear for bacon jerky. Well, it depends but... how many packages I have left. Yeah. I mean, if I had like a package with me and he just got maybe an open package that had just a few little bits left in it, I might back off. But if he has the whole stash, mm-hmm. or I'm, pop- I'm, I'm not just walking away. Yeah. I feel like he I'm might. Top of the food chain here. I feel like you might also give him a run for his money if he grabs the Cheez-Its. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, So maybe they do need to put, maybe put they those do. pamphlets mm-hmm. out. Yeah, so there are at least several hundred black bears that live in the park. There are no grizzlies that they know of. <laughs> so that's a little reassuring. I don't know why. I know it's it's irrational, but I'm more afraid of grizzlies than black bears. As you should be, right? <laughs> I mean, black bears can do a lot of damage and, and – Mm-hmm. They can be dangerous also, but the grizzly is a whole different deal. So our entertainment that night was we went to the general store there in Grant Grove Village to buy some firewood and, of course, to stock up on some unhealthy snacks, of which there, there seemed to be plenty there. But we did learn – actually, we learned this before we went there because we already knew it – about the Buy It Where You Burn It campaign. right. Now, it it makes total sense, Mm -hmm. but if you hadn't thought it through yourself, you wouldn't come to this conclusion. But they don't want people traveling with firewood long distances. So if you, you know, we come from Washington State and we have firewood and it's we have room in the truck, just load up the truck with firewood, we're going to go camping, we drive to California. What could happen is you could have pests, you have insects in that wood. You could have weed seeds on that wood. There, there's stuff that could be on that firewood that you just don't want to introduce to another area. So when it comes to those types of things, it's imperative to buy firewood as close to the area where you're going to burn it as possible so that you're not spreading diseases or insects. Right. And it does make perfect sense. 
So the next day was our hike to Miss Falls. Now we drove to the end of Highway 180. It dead ends there. It's called Road's End, which is a very clever name for the end of the road. There's a, a parking lot there that's actually sort of a jumping off point for a lot of hikes. Right, they had a... I wouldn't call it a full-blown ranger station. There was, there was mm-hmm. a cabin there with rangers. For permits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are a lot of people who were going up Mount Whitney, and they were going up connecting with the PCT. And the John Muir Trail, which most of the John Muir Trail is on the PCT. That's out there. So people go for multi-week backpacking trips, and they start right there at Road's End. Now, our hike to Miss Falls was only a day hike, and I think it was – how many miles was that, Matt? I don't know. That's another question I wasn't oh. prepared for. like <laughs> 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 I didn't know I was going to be interviewed today. Uh, I don't know. Say, it's like, it oh, was like four miles, 25 miles. <laughs> it was four miles each way. Uh, so an eight-mile round-trip hike. It had some elevation to it. It did have some elevation and some incredible views. It was a beautiful hike because part of it's through a forest. Part of it was along the south fork of the Kings River. And then, of course, you get to this beautiful Miss Falls, which we which, figured out why they named yeah, it. You, you know when Miss you're Falls. there. Because you get wet. You get very wet. The only downside of the entire hike was that, and this was surprising given that it was September, was that the bugs were horrific. The flies were thick and just, yeah, I, I we've never seen flies like that before. I know, I know. And I do remember that you didn't bring your head net and I did. And I don't like to wear a head net unless things are actually biting me in the face, which they weren't. So I loaned you my head net. For well, the, the other, and and the other thing about head nets, first of all, you should always carry one because they weigh like literally one ounce right. and take up no space. So there's no reason not to have one. But they also really only work if you have a brim. Because the, the head net has to drape away from your face. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a hat with the brim, then it's just going to be right on your face and then the, you're going to have both the net and the bugs on your face. And, and I, I had a baseball cap at least so that it, it pushed the net out from my face and I wore that hat. And honestly, we could have sold – a hundred head nets that day. Oh my gosh. For whatever price uh-huh. we wanted. Uh-huh. As we were hiking back, there were a lot of hikers coming in. And of course, they were swatting at the flies all around their faces. And everyone who saw Matt said, You're a genius. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I need one of those. And of course, when people were telling you you're a genius, yeah, yeah, you're like yes, nodding yeah, uh, yeah. and smiling. Yes, and, I yes, am. yes. Thank yes. You. It was my head net. <laughs> It was my headnet. <laughs> well, but I, feel, I, I had it on. I know, but I was the genius who brought oh. a headnet. I got no credit for that. Oh, yeah. I got no credit. But you didn't have it on. <laughs> Where was your brimmed hat? I tried to sell it off Matt's head. I told a guy I'd sell it for $100, but apparently he didn't think the flies were bad enough to pay $100 for it. It was so. also sweaty at that point. Mm, that's time. true. The, they the, probably looked at your sweat kind of, and kind said. Of, kind of gross. Yeah. But aside from the bugs, it was a beautiful, beautiful hike. Then the next morning, we did kind of do the nature (laughs) walk that their ranger had suggested originally, which was Zumwalt Meadows, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of over in that area by – on the way to Road's End. It is. And it, it was absolutely beautiful. Now, it's an easy about a mile and a half trail and it part of it runs between the Kings River and this beautiful meadow. And of course, you have these towering cliffs surrounding it. But I remember we went early in the morning before we left the park. So all the dew was still on the meadow and it was sparkling. 
and the sun was shining on it, and it was just one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. It is a beautiful little valley. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it is as, in my opinion, as spectacular as Yosemite, just with fewer people. Right, and it's a little bit smaller of a footprint, and most of the hike. Uh, most of the hikes are multi-day. There are, are not a lot of short day hikes right. there, but you can certainly take off to a lot of incredible wilderness places. So I would say, though, if you're going to Kings and Sequoia, gosh, Matt, how many days would you suggest people stay? I don't know. I, I like going there for maybe four days uh-huh. between the two parks and uh, yeah. sometimes doing the same thing you know every uh, every few years yeah I'd say a minimum of three if you spent one day in Sequoia and then you spent a day um, heading into Kings and you saw the uh, general Grant Grove and you took the beautiful drive back and then you stayed in Kings Canyon for a night and then the next day you did Miss Falls and Zumwalt Meadows I'd say a minimum of three days and you could see a lot and and again if you have more time then that's even better right my dream is to go in the winter and see those giant sequoias in the snow yeah we'll we'll have to do that mm-hmm, absolutely I think uh, one of the amazing things is that just in the state of California alone, you can see the biggest trees in the world in Sequoia National Park. You can see the tallest trees in the world in Redwood National Park. And you can see the oldest trees in the world in the ancient bristlecone pine forest in Inyo National Forest. So you have a smorgasbord of trees. Did I say that right? Yeah, (laughs) I I think so. You're going. I like it when you ask me what's in the mailbag. <laughs> You're going to wait for me to ask you what's in the mailbag. <laughs> okay, that's weird. What if I just don't ask? Could you? <laughs> All right. Karen, what's in the mailbag today? Matt, in today's mailbag, we have a question from... That's so stupid. <laughs> we have a question from Jason in Austin, Texas. And Jason asks us, he wrote, I'm planning on hiking the Zion Narrows soon, and I read in your book that you recommend trekking poles. The outfitter in Springdale rents a hiking stick as part of the rental package, and I was wondering if this is good enough or if I should buy trekking poles. He wants to know what whether or not you use trekking poles or the stick. Yeah, he wants and, to and, know. Well, let's start at the beginning. Okay, this, this is the beginning. <laughs> the Zion Narrows in Zion National Park is a hike through the Narrows, uh, and the hike is through the river. You're actually walking in water, sometimes up to your knees, sometimes up to your thighs, even sometimes up to your waist. So we recommend using trekking poles. And that's why he's wondering if a hiking stick, which we see a lot of people using, is good enough. We hiked it a couple of times and we've seen people use the long sticks. And when we did it the first time, I thought that looked odd because it looked like Moses (laughs) walking trying to part the river except the river wasn't parting and uh these sticks were really long and i was critical of those people Mm -hmm, using odd looking sticks until i realized here's the thing that this the stick is good for the sticks are long i don't don't know how long they are they look like they're over six feet long Mm -hmm. but there are 
places in the river where it's it would be nice to know how deep it is ahead of you and having a long stick makes sense. So that's the advantage of having a long stick. We prefer trekking poles because when we have the trekking poles, you have your two feet, your two poles, and the ranger told us, suggested, that we use trekking poles instead because that way we could always keep three points of contact. So you lift your foot up, you move it, then you lift one arm up, and you move the trekking pole, and, and in a swift current or slippery rocks underneath, it's good to have three points of contact. So I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the advantage. But I will say that the trekking poles did make it harder to figure out what the depth was ahead of us. Because, you know, you got to be prepared to go under anyway, but it, it would be nice to have a little bit of warning before you step off and into water up over your head. I think the the challenge with the stick is they also look kind of big. They look heavy. Maybe heavy. Yeah, they do. I'd say that you don't need to invest in a pair of trekking poles unless you plan to continue hiking and or snowshoeing, which they also come in very handy. If this is sort of a once in a lifetime deal, I think the the hiking stick is is perfectly fine. But if you're going to continue hiking, we use our trekking poles pretty frequently. And there are a lot of hikes I wouldn't do without them, some of those steep hikes. You use trekking poles a lot. I use them sometimes. You use them almost all the time. They're probably most useful to help your knees on the way down from steep hikes Uh to to kind of take some of the weight off of and, and make it a little easier to come down. When we went backpacking recently and we did some steep hikes, I took the poles because with the heavy pack, it then kind of spreads the weight of the pack across my arms a little bit. So when I'm putting pressure on the trekking poles, it's taking a little bit of the weight off my legs. So, yeah, I generally don't like to have anything in my hands when I'm hiking. I, I I don't like that feeling, but they're very useful, especially on steep hikes. And, yeah, you're right. If you're just going to do the narrows, I don't think it's worth, you know, the... Seventy-five or a hundred dollars or even more to buy trekking poles just for that hike. Right, rent the stick. If this hike sounds intriguing, which it really is, we have an entire podcast episode on the Zion Narrows hike. You can check out. Also, we will be doing a gear, not necessarily a gear review. We'll be doing uh, what would you call it, Matt? Well, it's a gear kind of a gear guide, gift Mm -hmm. guide, a little bit of gear review. It's we're not trying to be. Uh, go exhaustive on every topic of gear because we haven't tried every piece of gear that's out there, but we will share a lot of the things that we use and we like. So we can say firsthand knowledge that this, mm-hmm. this thing is good or works or we, mm-hmm. we like it. And those are sometimes good gift ideas for people who are buying holiday gifts. Right. And we'll be talking specifically about trekking poles and that talking about some of the brands that we use and love. So anyway, thanks for the question, Jason. I hope that helps. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobbinass, or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. We'll review all the questions that come in, and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment on future episodes. To see pictures from Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, go to www.thedearbobbinsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 17. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. 
We want to thank all of you who've left us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Those positive reviews really help us build our audience. If you haven't had a chance to do that yet, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts even if you listen to our show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast app. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by our amazing team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. So, Matt, maybe in the future we should turn this podcast into a quiz show. I can be the host and ask you National Park trivia questions the whole time. Wouldn't that be fun? I don't think so. I think that might be fun for you, not so much for me. <laughs> How about if I ask you the questions? <laughs> I wouldn't know any of the answers. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it just as it is. <laughs>